Welcome to the Seltzer Podcast. Welcome. <laughs> My name is Bryce Higgins, and I'm uh, joined here today with uh, James Sleeman. Yes, indeed. Uh, t- yes, we're going to talk about uh, our favorite records and how they influenced our songwriting and the creative process. Uh, so, how about how about James? How about you start us off? Uh, favorite one of your favorite albums. All right. One of my favorite albums, um, which I mean is no surprise to anyone that knows me and anyone that is a fan of music from the '60s, is Revolver by the Beatles. Great album. It it truly is. Some of my favorite songs, but but more importantly, some of my favorite production techniques, mm-hmm. just in terms of um, like experimental meets pop right, kind yeah. of things where like uh on the first uh or sorry on the on the last track on the album uh tomorrow never knows where they put um they put john lennon's vocals through a, a leslie cabinet to make it sound like he was emanating from the top of a mountain yeah like the dalai lama which like nobody would have thought of that in that time period right yeah i mean even if like even if you don't even if someone doesn't like the Beatles, I mean, it, it, pretty much all pop music today will come back to the Beatles in some way, shape, or form. Like, yeah, I mean, pretty much all modern music yeah. comes back to the Beatles and the Beach Boys. They just at this point, yeah, they just pioneered and, so and much. And like Elvis too, right? Might as well throw him in there. Yeah, they, they. I mean, they just pioneered so much that it's practically undeniable to deny yeah. them. And I mean, like, n- not even just songwriting, but like just like their production techniques and their their use of tape loops and different milestone innovations within recording technology as well. Yeah. And I mean the songwriting is obviously fantastic. I oh mean, absolutely. I don't really know any songwriter who is not indebted to the Beatles. Yeah, I mean even a lot of bands that you wouldn't expect them to take influence from, like you you could still hear. I mean, oh yeah. they still they still Definitely. say that they you know they're influenced from them. Like, uh, I know, I mean, Kurt Cobain said that yeah, the Beatles was a huge influence. Like, uh, I think John Lennon especially was like a huge influence to him. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, and you could see that. Like, even just within like his style too. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, they're. It's just a landmark album in like music as a whole. Yeah, because it kind of it kind of ushered in the age of psychedelic of of psychedelia in the in the uh, in the mainstream. Right. Like it was it was kind of beginning for like a couple of years before that, but it was more underground. Mm-hmm. And with the release of that album, it kind of was a turning point in culture. Yeah. And it like allowed for new ideas and the whole the hippie uh, generation. Yeah, the the whole hippie generation and like the whole late sixties mentality. Yeah, with like free thought and free love and whatever. Oh God, and then, and then every band is just a psychic, a psychedelic yeah. band now. But Revolver was basically the start of that, right? Again, with with tracks like Tomorrow Never Knows or Taxman mm-hmm. or like those like trippy kind of, but but yet still very pop focused, right? Yeah, like it's pop songwriting, but with experimental. Ideas beginning to be thrown in, and then that would be fleshed out even further on uh, the album after that, Magical Mystery Tour, where like they 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 kind of just went head first into it. Mm -hmm. 
That's uh, crazy that that album was made in mono. Yeah. It's just incredible. I mean, like, me. like the sounds. Pretty much all. I'm, from what I've read, um, all Beatles albums were like originally mixed in mono by the band, and then they would do the stereo mixes after the band left because the band was like mono's the only way. Yeah, I, I, that's just. And crazy. Brian Wilson is the same, the same way to this day. Yeah. Like he he only works in mono, and then that's if weird. if they want, um. A stereo mix, then they'll do it without him there mm-hmm. because he just doesn't care about it. That's. I mean, like I didn't know all that of about Brian Wilson. Like all of um, all of Pet Sounds originally was all mono, and then when they when they uh when they remastered it, it was all like they had to pull from like the tapes mm-hmm. because there were no original mixes done in stereo. Everything was done in mono. Right. Even though things were mic'd in stereo, which is Really? It's, yeah. Like, like if you look at pictures of like the drum recording, like, uh, like, um, like, pi- like pictures of like Hal Blaine at the drum kit, mm-hmm. you can see a spaced pair over the drum kit. But so everything weird. was mixed down in mono. Whoa, that's crazy. Yeah, it's it's weird. But back to the Beatles, um, and like how that how Revolver influenced my songwriting in particular um my first ep which has been out for uh almost a year now is very beatles influenced with its use of vocal harmonies and 12 string guitars and the the title track in particular the eagle is very beatles mm-hmm. inspired the i mean the drum groove is extremely similar to that kind of era ringo playing right where it was kind of like, kind of droney, mm-hmm. in, in in a weird way, like as as droney as drums could be, which is you usually don't associate drums or with like droning. Yeah. Um, but like that songwriting with like, kind of like using as few chords as possible, but like, then kind of opening it up in like one section mm-hmm. to like have like different interesting chord changes which is kind of like a very Beatlesy thing to do um and but like a lot of the harmony stuff like we were we layered we have like five or six tracks of of harmonies on that song gotcha yeah just like to make it sound as wide as possible yeah that's yeah um you want to talk about one of your albums yeah uh so the album that probably has influenced me the most is uh, Songs for the Deaf by uh, Queens of the Stone Age. I mean, I, I have it tattooed on my album. arm. So Great um, album. Yeah, I mean, everything about it is just, it's just an ex- a sonic explosion from the beginning yeah. to the end. Like, so many different textures and and sounds. Um, but at the same time, they, they, they're all pretty uniform. Yeah. To, but they, they just... They get all, they all stick out in their own way, you know. So I mean, kind of like a it was like I always see that that album as like the continuation of grunge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of like the early '90s grunge, but in like the later '90s. Yeah. So thing. The origin. I mean, Qu- Queens of the Stone Age. They're technically a stoner rock yeah. band, and th- the whole stoner genre came out of the California desert where there was 
nothing, absolutely nothing to do. So the only thing, you know, they were like, well, we got to make our own fun. So they started making music and uh, and a lot of the old stoner metal stuff and some new stuff, too. But like early stoner metal is obvious, like takes obvious influence from like metal and, and punk. Yeah. Uh, but they sort of make it like a little more sleek and a little more low. I mean, stoner metal is usually classified by um, like really groovy drums, really fuzzy bass and, yeah. and low tuned guitars. Just like a lot of fuzz. Just yeah, everywhere. just super low tuned guitars and that really warm, just low end guitar sound. Yeah. Um, so Queens of the Stone Age came after came they you know rose out of the ashes of of Caius which is they're one of the original stoner metal bands okay and um so when Queens of the Stone Age started making music um Josh Hami and Nick uh, Josh Hami's the gu- the guitarist and yeah. and the vocalist and um Nick Oliveri was the bassist uh, he's not but he he's not anymore but he recorded on that album um mm-hmm. And they actually they brought in Dave Grohl for, oh, did they? for on the drums for that That's album. Cool. So the the drums on Songs for the Deaf is they're just absolutely so there's huge. So there's your Nirvana connection. Yeah, Nirvana. Right just you know Dave Grohl is just an inc- just super high energy drummer. Yeah, yeah. But like you know he's got the super hard hitting punk style, but he's very tasteful. And he's yeah, and he's got like really smart drum grooves and he he works really well with the rest of the band. I feel like a lot of people don't give Dave Grohl enough credit as a drummer. No, oh, I mean like as he deserves. He he was super influential, yeah. I mean. But like, like everyone just thinks of him as the lead singer of the f- of of the Foo Fighters. Yeah, dude. I mean as as uh I guess Goofy smells like Teen Spirit is now to look back on like the drum. Those the drums opening are drum, awesome. Yeah, the opening drum fill of that song is just iconic. It now. is like, you like it's, it's everyone legendary. knows what it is. It, it, like if you sh- sh- just show someone the first part of that song, they like you'll just show them the drum intro. Yeah, they'll know they'll what know it is. Yeah, exactly. The same with In Bloom. Like the yeah. the yeah. yeah, like everybody knows what yeah. that is, and he's just got some. And he's just got incredible drum talent. He does, and he's just really complimented their style as a whole. Like, um, just the really low grooving guitars, um, heavy bass lines, Mm -hmm. and and, you know he just really gives the band that extra punch that they that you know just brings the whole record to life. Yeah, and uh, well. You know, the reason why I love that record so much, or one of the reasons why I love that record so much, is they managed to perfectly fuse heavy guitars and heavy music with, like, really sleek and really melodic vocals. Oh, yeah. And... Yeah, yeah Josh Homme's vocals on that album are incredible. Yeah, like, they're so catchy. Like, they every, are. every song has, like, a really catchy melody or catchy chorus. Like, everybody knows, no one knows. yeah. I mean, it's um, a it's a staple. Yeah, no point. one knows is like one of the. I mean, "Songs for the Deaf" is listed as one of the greatest albums of all time, like yeah. on the Rolling Stone greatest of album of all time list. And, um, but I don't I don't really hear a lot of people talk about it. No, but that album. But like everyone, everyone always talks about the the guitar sound. Oh my on god, it. everyone. And the the th- r- 
the really interesting and I mean, thing for about good reason. the really interesting thing about the guitar tone is um a lot of the guitars you're hearing are coming from several amps like blended together and well, y- yeah so um <coughs> the guy who recorded it um who recorded and produced it and produced it um Eric Valentine yeah he did like a whole video thing where like he explained like how he records guitars and like yeah. he just he just sets up like like three to five amps in a room. It's ridiculous. And then puts like two like like um an X Y pair just out in front of it. Yeah, which is crazy. And Josh Homme was like, "Oh yeah, the like the main guitar on the sound was recorded with a shitty amp that I bought yeah. for like a hundred dollars. It was like a PV or something, right? Yeah, it was like a broken piece of shit amp that he bought across the street or something. Yeah. and it's just such an uh, iconic guitar just tone. So it's awesome. Instantly recognizable. Exactly. And um. You know, recording aside, just his playing too is yeah. super recognizable. Like the the specific scales he plays, especially during his solos, um, it's like a modified version of the minor blues scale. Okay. and he takes out, he takes away a few notes and he s- he skips them. So I, I forget exactly what it's called, but it's got like a whole tony feel okay. like a whole tone slash diminished feel that's cool and it's just got this like a few notes that just have these little quirks with them yeah that just makes the whole thing sound it it it, it turns what would be like a really run of the mill guitar rock guitar solo into into something unique into something new it kind of goes back to that fusion of experimental music back into more mainstream kind yeah, of styles yeah like he which is cool he really like I don't know anybody else that plays the guitar like that. Like he really yeah. kind of pioneered that scale on his own. I feel like he kind he was also kind of responsible for for like the resurgence of like low tuned guitars too. Yeah, like because like you had it with like Tony Iommi in the in the early seventies, right? But then nobody really did it for a while. Yeah, like I they would do like drop D, but like that was about it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, everybody's playing in standard, but I think the guitar just goes so much further from standard tuning. No, d- and like yeah. C, they record a, a majority of that album is in C standard. C standard, yeah. So like two steps below. So kind of tuning. it kind of is almost like a baritone guitar yeah. in that respect. So you you kind of get that like heavy sludge from it's that too. It's just super big. Like the the low tone just adds to the yeah to the you know size of the guitar sound. It yeah. just makes it just makes the whole thing just fill up the whole room. And, and like I mean like that's that's also true ac- across genres like. One of my favorite guitarists and songwriters is this guy um, by the name of Joey Landreth, who's mm-hmm. kind of like an Americana blues kind of. I kind of like describe him as like John Mayer meets the Eagles. Gotcha. Meets Ry Cooter. Oh. Because he's awesome. But he plays almost exclusively in open C. Yeah. The o- open C is a, is an awesome yeah. tuning. Yeah, and I mean he plays like a lot of slide guitar, mm-hmm. but like just the low tuning, and I I think he's um, he's been quoted saying that it gives it gives the instrument a, a more piano like range, mm-hmm. which I kind of have to agree with because you you get those low those really low almost bass notes. Yeah, but then you you still have the higher register. Not mm. quite as high as a normal tuned guitar, but yeah, still high enough. And um, I, for a while, like 
after discovering them, I would only play guitar and like drop tunings like yeah, like open not open C, but like I would play a lot in drop D and I would play a lot in uh, E flat or drop C sharp. Yeah. And then I would play a lot in, in C standard because and I feel like they were kind of responsible <coughs> for like that resurgence of low tuning or like yeah. other than standard tuning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were. It's just amazing sound. It just sounds so good. Yeah, it's, and, and that's the thing. Like, peop a lot of people associate um, low tunings with like metal or super heavy music. And I mean, Queen like, of I feel like they got that from them. Yeah, they're they're definitely heavy, but they manage they take the the heavy groove elements and then they fuse it with like really melodic and really. You know, like there's almost always a almost pop songwriting. Yeah, there's always a cool. good um, juxtaposition between like Josh's vocals are very high and the guitars and the bass are very low. Yeah. So the the um, you know separation between the bass and the melody is is very clear. Yeah. And it just makes his his voice stand out really well, and which is kind of like <coughs> a defining characteristic of of their sound. Yeah, and. Um, cool. The whole album just flows so well, especially because, um, you know, it's got the whole radio thing where yeah. th the samples in the they got samples and skits in between each song. And it's mm -hmm. like you're listening to the radio. Like the first track is the guy walking up to the car and opening the door and turning on the radio. And then um, there's like uh, they put a um, in the the first song or the first real song. Uh, you think I ain't worth a dollar, but I feel like a millionaire. It's got this um, radio sample where he's like, I need a saga. What's a saga? And it's songs for the deaf. You can't even hear it. And then <laughs> the drum groove starts. Yeah. And it's, but it's in this. Um, so it's kind of like a concept album, too. Yeah. In, in that respect. Which is cool and it's got a lot of, you nice. know, recurring themes of religion and yeah. uh, uh, TV and, and that kind of thing, like politics and consumer culture. And then um, the drums start, and it's, you know, all of the lows are taken out, so it's just, like, you know, really small-sounding drum kit. That's cool. And then the guitar and the vocals come in, and then, you know, it just widens up, and it just explodes. The album just opens with an explosion of sound. Okay. And yeah. it just pretty much keeps that energy up the entire way through. Yeah. And um, Nick Oliveri's doing vocals on that song where he's, you know, he's screaming, mm -hmm. like really, really screaming. And then, you know, the next songs have Josh's very, s very soft and very melodic vocals, which is a cool juxtaposition yeah. within the band itself. Mm -hmm. And then there's cool. a couple, uh, there's a couple of songs that you know goes back and forth between soft singing and then really like super hard screaming. And um, one of my favorite songs on the album. Uh, song for the Dead just has some really, really awesome drum drums from Dave Grohl, and uh, the singer is Mark Lanigan, and he's just got okay. this really raspy, really rough voice. Yeah. Um, but it just fits the whole aesthetic of the song, mm -hmm. and it just sounds amazing. And um, I've really kind of taken that whole philosophy, I guess, the whole song soundscape philosophy of of that album and applied it a lot to my music, even though um, the music I make now isn't really super closely related to yeah. it. But um, I definitely, I definitely um, 
credit them in giving me uh, the different tunings because a lot of the music I write is not in standard tuning. Okay. Or it's in some sort of altered tuning. And Queens of the Stone Age is how I really started to experiment with tunings other than standard. Um, That's cool. Yeah, and it's just just had such a huge impact on my songwriting as a whole. Just I really like the the soft and loud dynamic, the yeah. the whole heavy and melodic dynamic. Um yeah, it's just such an amazing album and I I really really like I mean pretty much everything about it. There's really not a song on it that I that I would skip. It's just all amazing and the cover art is awesome. Yeah. And all the music videos for him for the songs on the album are awesome. Oh man, so many great songs. <coughs> yeah, I mean, cool. Other than that, I don't know if there's much else to talk about. All right. Well, um, um where can we find you on social media? Um, so my Instagram, my personal Instagram is just at Bryce Higgins. So B R Y C E H I G G I N S. And um, my band, my current band anyway, um, is Guilt Trip. So that's at Guilt Trip 717, which is the Lancaster area code. So we take a lot of pride in, in being from Lancaster for some reason. Good old Lancaster. So <laughs> I've never been there. <coughs> Wouldn't know. Yeah, but on there you can find, you know, I got a link tree for all the different social medias. So Nice. Yeah, so. Uh, that's circular branding. Yeah, right. <laughs> So where where are you? Where can we find you on the social medias? I'm on pretty much every platform under James Sleeman. You can just put in James Sleeman and I'll come up. Mm-hmm. Um, and from pretty much any of those sites, you can ac- access any of my music on pretty much any of the streaming services. Please buy our music. Please, <laughs> please. <laughs> Got to pay off these tuition dollars somehow. Exactly. All right, this has been the uh the Seltzer podcast. All right, have enjoyed. a good evening.